Yeah. Everybody's listening, leaning in. That's awesome. How are you doing today? It's getting full here at 9 o'clock. What a great day to celebrate the dedication of children to God. Isn't it awesome? Lord has blessed us with so many young families and so many young kids. We are thrilled about that. And if you're here visiting uh, with family and friends, we just want to say welcome. We're glad that you're with us. What a special day uh, to honor what God is doing in families here in this church. And uh, if you were here last Sunday, you know that God did something really special. And um, I'm thinking particularly at the 11 o'clock service, we had a, a response time uh, in which a whole bunch of people came forward and said, I am declaring freedom in Jesus. I'm claiming victory over fear and anxiety in my life. And I know many of you at the 9 a.m. service were leaning in that direction and laying hold of that territory as well. And I just wanted you to know that it, it was a huge response. We had about 70 people crowding at the front here at 9 o'clock, uh, being prayed for, just seeking God, people weeping, uh, calling on His name, uh, great breakthroughs happening in people's lives. And so I just want to encourage you, if you were taking that ground last Sunday in your heart, stay there. Don't give up. Uh, keep believing Jesus for the need that you have and celebrating the victory that he's given to you because we can slay all giants in his name. Amen? Amen. Where did we learn that from? From the scriptures, right? And the life of David. And so we're in this series called The Pursuit, and I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20 as we get back into it. By the way, a woman was healed last Sunday. She had a stomach condition. She was prayed over somewhere around here. Yeah, and God healed her. So... We celebrate that. So many miracles happening on a regular basis, and we're pointing them all to Jesus. Jesus is the one who heals. It's in his name that these things happen, and we're so encouraged about it. I really believe that next Sunday, we have uh, David Hearn here, the president of the Alliance Churches in Canada. You remember him from two years ago? What an awesome, anointed servant of God. He's coming here to proclaim a message on renewal on our Renewal Sunday. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be one of those moments that God speaks to us as a church, and I'm so looking forward to it. Well, we are on this journey called The Pursuit, and uh, that's the name of the series. And the reason that we're in this area of the Scriptures is we believe that God is calling us as His people to pursue Him like never before. And uh, we're looking at the life of David in 1 Samuel. And uh, I just love the story of David. I love the narrative. I love all that the Scriptures say to us about him. There's such an example for, uh, for us to follow after there in the life of David. And I also want to let you know what's happening in my own life. I felt uh, last week the Lord prompted me to go away, <laughs> uh, to disappear for two days, and to head to the mountains and just meet with him. So I did that on Monday and Tuesday. And, uh, you know, it's busy around here. There's a lot to do. There's meetings that go into meetings that go into meetings. We, on staff, we just live in meetings. And uh, I felt the Lord say to me, it's time for you to go away and be with me. And so I did. I went out to the mountains and hung out with God for two days. And uh, the first day, which was a complete day of solitude, I just laid down before the Lord. I just got on my knees, laid down, read scripture, and just sought his face. And I'd have to say, I never felt much from God. I never really sensed him speaking to me. And I thought, well, that's okay. I didn't come here to get something. I came here to give the Lord my full attention because he told me to. And then the next day, it was like the heavens opened up on the Tuesday. And uh, I was sitting in front of a river out in the mountain area. I was sitting on a bench, actually, looking over a river. And I spent an hour just seeking the face of Jesus, just 
intensely seeking his face. And I felt the Lord whisper some things to, to me. He started to speak to me about my life and my family and, and our future and the future of this church and what his plans are for us. And I sensed that he was saying that he's pouring out a river of renewal through us and in us and upon us and that the glimmering sense of his presence is just going to, going to come upon us like never before. And as I heard him say that, I'm looking at the river, the whole surface of the water just shimmered. It was the only time, just exactly at that moment. Like God's little nudge saying, you're hearing me right. And uh, like you, I'm just leaning into that. I'm just saying yes to that. Uh, I'm anticipating more of that and watching and waiting for what God is going to do next. He really is up to something phenomenal here. And uh, in this region, not just here in this church, but in this whole region, God has chosen this place on earth to reveal his glory. And we want to be involved in that. That's why we gather. We gather to pursue his presence. Now today I want to talk to you about something called honor and uh, how we can be a people of honor. In fact, I really believe that God wants to build a culture of honor right here in this community, in this church. And honor is really a missing thing in our world. You hardly see it anymore. In fact, you see the opposite. You see things like pettiness and criticism, self-advancement, People trying to dismantle other people's reputations and tear them down. It even happens in churches where Christians will criticize other churches or other people in other churches. But for us who want to live in the kingdom of God, we must be a people of honor. And Romans 12, 9 and 10 says this, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. And then it says, Honor one another above yourselves. Our best relationships are those that are based upon honor. And in the scriptures, it shows us that we're specifically to bring honor to people. People made in the image of God. That would include everybody. In fact, the scriptures tell us that we're to honor God above all other possible spiritual pathways. We're to honor the Lord uh, in our lives and honor him with our first fruits. We're to honor the king and those over us in the political and government realm. We're not supposed to tear down their reputations. We're supposed to pray for them and support them. We're to honor our parents. It's one of the commandments that was given to Moses, right? Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and you may live long in the earth. You're to honor your spouse, And the scriptures also say we're to honor those elders who lead well, especially those whose job is preaching and teaching. We're supposed to give them double honor. And that's just right out of the scriptures. Honor for people is to sort of span across the whole community of God. And we're to honor those from other cultures and countries, and really we're to honor everyone. In the story of David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel, we see a relationship of honor amongst friends that is so special and so powerful that it deserves to be treated, I think, as one of the most beautiful relationships in the entire Bible. And what we see here in this profile of two people is that honor is built on three things. It's built upon destiny and love and sacrifice. Can you remember those? Destiny, love, and sacrifice. And we'll start by looking at how honor is built on destiny. So here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 20. We're going to cover really chapters 18 to 20 and uh, intersperse with some quotes there as we go through. But what we know is this, that David has become 
a young rising leader. He was anointed by Samuel to be king. He was chosen uh, um, uh, from the midst of his brothers and, and set apart in his family to be the next ruler of Israel. He defeats the giant Goliath, and he stuns everyone with his faith in God. He's probably about 15 years of age. And if you remember David from last week, you know he's swinging his sling, and he's saying, what does he say? The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord, not to me. I'm involved, he's saying. I'm using my arms. I've got a rock and I've got a sling. But I know that the battle is not mine. The battle is the Lord's. And he's going to give me the victory over everything that is intimidating against me. David defeats the giant Goliath. And it stuns everyone. Saul pays attention to him. Saul's the current king at the time. And he invites David into his household. He thinks, well, I better have this young warrior near my side. But Saul is very fearful of David. He's very jealous of him. So he sets David to fight some battles for him, and David goes out. If you look at chapter 18, oh, at around verse 6 or 7, you know, David, and he goes out and he kills some more Philistines, and the women come out from the towns. They're singing these songs. Verse 7, as they dance, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Now, if you're King Saul, how would that land on you? You know, Saul has slain his thousands, and he has. But David, his tens of thousands. This young boy is being exalted above the people, and uh, Saul's leadership is fading. Saul was, was tormented by an evil spirit. If you go back to chapter 16 and just look at verse number 14, it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So it's like God withdrew his restraining hand on Saul because Saul's heart was moving towards wickedness, and that allowed then a whole rush of the evil realm to come upon him. The favor of God is no longer upon King Saul. It's moving to David. And Saul wants David killed. In chapter 18, we can look at verse 10 and 11, somewhere around there. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. Saul wanted David to be killed in battle. Saul wanted this upstart young ruler to be taken away and and disposed of. Saul wants David killed. He does not honor what God is doing in David's life. And so he even schemes a whole bunch of things to have David fail and be put to death. He gives David Michelle, his daughter, in marriage. And if you look at the, at the narrative in the scriptures, Michelle is an idolatress. She's got idols in her bedroom. And uh, she's, she's not a good influence on David. And, and it turns out that even though David takes her as his wife, it's not a happy marriage at all. Saul wants the favor of God to leave David, so he gives him Michelle, his daughter, in marriage. Saul is a case study in dishonor. And in chapter 20, things reach a crisis point. And Jonathan, the son of Saul, has to go and warn David, his friend, that his father, the king, is really, really trying to kill him. 
And this is where the relationship of honor is formed between David and Jonathan. And it begins with Jonathan calling out the destiny in David. Let's look at chapter 20, verses 12 to 16. Words will be on the screen. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Jonathan is saying there, I know you're the new king. But show me the unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. Do you know what kind of character that takes to do what Jonathan just did? Do you know what kind of a heart that requires in a person? Jonathan is saying, I know that my father is jealous of you. I know that my father is dishonoring to you. But I won't act that way. Because I see you, David, not just as you are, but I see you as God sees you. I see the person that you're becoming. Now, David might be 16 years of age by now, or 17, or maybe even 18. He's got no earthly title. He's he's got no royal robes. He's got no big army around him. He's got maybe 100 soldiers or so. But the army of the Lord is around him. And the destiny of the Lord is upon him. And Jonathan sees that, and he senses it. And I think that that tells us, friends, that if we're going to have relationships of honor We're going to have to see people the way God sees them. Not with their imperfections. Not with their, I haven't arrived yet package. But we need to view people made in the image of God as set apart for God's royal destiny. If we start that way, I think we'll get it right. It's called looking for gold in people as opposed to looking for dirt in people. It's called mining for the treasure that is within every person by God's design of their life. Every one of you as followers of Jesus have a royal destiny that is just ready for you to step into and to be fulfilled. And many of you are living it out. You see, it's true that as a follower of the living God, you are already called. You're already chosen. You're already qualified for an amazing royal kingdom destiny. And it's a destiny that when we step into gives us life and purpose and fulfillment. When we really discover who we really are, guess what? We don't want to be anyone else. And we looked at that in our first message in our series. In Christ, you are a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. You're a priest of the Lord who ministers to people in his name. We're really priests of the world. We're we're to pray for the lost and we're to bring their their needs to God and cry out to him and intercede for them. You have an assignment and a role and a lifelong purpose to fulfill. And so you need to be honored. And that's what we do in the body of Christ. We honor one another, right? 
We go out of our way to honor one another. We make sure that no one is left unhonored because God has not created any accidents. And I know that some of us are not used to having this kind of language spoken over us. We're not used to absorbing our kingdom identity and our, our royal destiny. It feels kind of strange to us. And it might feel strange because perhaps we've grown up without honor. Perhaps our parents have done the best they can, but they never shaped us with a view from heaven. Uh, and maybe they, they didn't know how to honor their, their, their children and to bring them up in a culture of honor. Maybe they didn't know how to honor their own friends. But we believe in the body of Christ that honor is a pivotal virtue. It's really something that must be present in the, in the body of Christ so that we can demonstrate to the surrounding world around us that there is a God that, is, that has made us and we're following him. And honoring him means that we will honor one another. The other thing that a culture of honor is built on is love. And when I'm talking about love, I am not talking about that mushy, flimsy, emotional fascination that passes as love in our world. Love is a very strong word. And at its foundation is the roots of honor. And for David and Jonathan, there was this crazy, amazing love that they had for each other that fueled their honor for each other. Just go back to chapter 18. Look at the first four verses here. This awesome relationship between these two guys is being formed. Chapter 18, verse 1. It says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, when a warrior does that, when a warrior takes off his battle gear and gives it to a friend, it is a powerful, symbolic gesture to say, I am forever your friend. I will never turn my back on you. I submit my life into your hands. I will treat you with dignity. I will respect you and I will represent you well. I'm going to honor you. So Jonathan takes off his belt and his sword and, his, and all of his equipment and gives it over to David. That really, really had a powerful effect on David. It's one of the most amazing pictures in the Bible of a deep, healthy, strong, man-to-man human relationship of honor. David and Jonathan were matched as soulmates that day in a way that very few people, I think, understand. Now, just in case anyone is wondering, this is not some version of same-sex attraction going on here. These guys were in union because of God. They were close to each other because of the royal destiny that was upon their lives. They were full-blooded, valiant warriors. They, they were athletic, action-oriented men. Jonathan was really good with a bow and an arrow. He could shoot things that no one else could get in their targets. David could kill anything with his sling. I think they had a lot of stories that they would share back and forth to each other about, you know, how did that, how'd you take that one down and how'd that Philistine fall to the ground? They were heartthrobs amongst the women of their day. And they had that rare combination of masculine toughness 
with tenderness. These are guys who could not only kill some soldiers in front of them, but they could weep in each other's arms and they could grieve for each other. It's an amazing picture of honor, the life of David and and Jonathan. And I think it shows us that love requires authenticity and transparency. If you want to have relationships of honor, then you're going to have to risk. You're going to have to be a person who, who is vulnerable and is willing to share out of your heart with a trusted friend, this is how I'm really doing. This is what I'm really going through. Have you got someone like that in your own life? Who knows the real you? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a very, very close friend. Maybe it's a co-worker that you've come to appreciate. Is there kind of a a relationship in your life in which honor is, is functioning because there's love there? Verse 17, chapter 20, it says, Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. That's so rare. That this love between these two guys was so powerful, so unique, that it gave them the best of all relationships. So I'm asking you, who loves you for who you really are? Who loves you when you're weak? Who loves you when you're sick? Who loves you when you've lost your job? Who weeps for you when your plans fail? Who checks up on you when you're going through a crisis? It's a Jonathan-type person or a David-type person, I'm sure. And sadly, I think that most of us live without these kinds of relationships. And what happens, I think, is we just, we just sort of default to an understanding that we're not going to get that in this life. No one's going to really journey with me, and so I'm not going to open up. I'm not going to take risks. I'm not going to trust someone with the deepest parts of my soul. And what happens is I think sometimes we imagine that we will get all of our needs met by our spouse. And while we should get most of our needs met by our spouse, and our spouse should be our closest confidant, absolutely, we must also have other people in our lives. Also have other people, friends, mentors, peers, that will help us to process the issues of life. Some of you need a friend like that. Some of you perhaps just need to get out more. (laughs) You don't have enough time in your life to, to even build another relationship, and you're wilting on the inside. Some of you might think, I don't even know if I want someone to see what's inside of me. I can understand that. But we never really arrive into our royal destiny unless there's a foundation of love and honor that takes place in our world. So assuming that your number one relationship is with your spouse if you're married, you still need other people in your life. You'll need several relationships in which honor can be based and built in order to become the person you're supposed to be. Jonathan and David had it. A powerful relationship. In fact, when when Jonathan was killed in battle along with his two brothers and his father Saul... This absolutely devastated David. It crushed him. And if some guys are here, have you ever seen the movie 300? Don't admit it out loud, it's church. (laughs) And that last scene of the Spartan army as they throw their lives forward and lose the great battle. I think that's sort of a little bit of what it was like on Mount Gilboa when Saul and his sons valiantly fought 
to the end and died. All on Mount Gilboa. David grieved this greatly. The loss of his friend Jonathan. It so ripped apart his world that he wrote a song about it in 2 Samuel chapter 1. It's called The Lament for the Bow. The Lament for the Bow. Verse 23, he writes, Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with garments ornaments of gold. David is not even bitter against Saul. Then he says this, verse 25, how the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. That's love and honor. Who do you love deeply? Who do you ache for to see uh, close to your heart and fulfilling their royal destiny? Do you risk on a relationship where there's vulnerability? You know what I envision here in this house, in this church, is that God is establishing more and more so a culture of honor. And I see God bringing people here from all over the place and he wants us to embrace one another and know one another and walk with one another and love one another. And if we do that, it means we're going to have the deepest, most profound relationships possible in life. It'll happen here. It'll happen in this city. It'll happen in this church. If we just kind of just pause for a moment and think about all the amazing people that God is bringing around us, who would not want to be part of their lives? Who would not want to be part of what God is doing and and close to the fire of passion that's burning in so many of your lives? These are relationships of honor that we believe are being formed around God's destiny for us and the love that he pours into our hearts for each other through the Holy Spirit. But some of you might not get there because you don't risk, because you don't open up. Some of you are so busy, and I understand that. I mean, it is difficult to live sanely in this world. It's difficult to live wisely. And some of our margins are so thin that we do not have room for even a good friend in our life. That is so sad. It's so not the way God intended us to function. Some of us are so introverted, and I can say this because I'm highly energized. I'm on the very far side of that scale. I need a lot of alone time in order to have a public life and ministry. But some of you are so introverted that you're actually isolated. You've got a little cocoon around you, a little quiet chamber, and some of that's really awesome. But some of it gets a little bit narcissistic. You just live in your little bubble, and there's no one speaking into your life. There's no one holding you accountable. There's no one checking in on you. There's no one that you're, you're experiencing the joy of deep friendship with. How does that change? Well, there's lots of ways I'm sure you can figure it out. One of them might be, stop taking off after the service is over so quickly. Just sit still for a while. Just hang out a little bit. Uh, show up at other events. Uh, meet people. Uh, there's an old saying, if you want friends, you've got to be friendly. <laughs> 
right? And, and, and I know we get that, but, but I know we're also busy, and I know that we've got things in our life that pull us in different directions. I get that. But we must also be a people who have honor in relationships. And that takes time. And I think that friendships built on honor will, will change us, that we will find ourselves absolutely healthy in our souls and in new ways, and we'll be able to have strength and, and insight and capacity for, for doing great things for God and with God. Some of you have never experienced that. And God, I think, wants to take you there if you're open. Think about the friends that you want and ask God for them now. Believe him for them and take some steps into those relationships. Phone a person, text them, email them. Say, hey, you know what? Can we just start over again? Can we rebuild what we have? Can we take what we have to the next level? Can we go deeper in our faith with each other? If you don't have those kinds of friends, seek the Lord on that. Ask him why. Maybe you got hurt in the past. Maybe you come from another church where, where you've been damaged in a relationship there and, and you're like, I am so jaded against church people, I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. I can understand people get hurt in churches. Maybe you've got stuff to hide and you just don't want anyone else to get in on the real you. And so you give the appearance of being very sophisticated and spiritually put together, but deep down, you're actually hiding. I don't know what you need to do, but I know that God will give us friends. I mean, even Brene Brown's talking well on this, right? You've seen her TED Talk and her books. I mean, even in the broader culture, they're in on this. They're saying, we've got to have relationships. Like, relationships are they're so pivotal to life. And we, the people in the kingdom of God, we should say, we've known about that for thousands of years. So go buy that John Maxwell book and read it and do it. Go watch the Brene Brown TED Talk and embrace friends. Figure it out. Those of you who have friends, maybe after this service you can get together and tell them, I'm so glad I have you as a friend. I'm so glad that I can pour my life into you and that I can take that risk and that you will love me unconditionally and you've got my back. Let them know that. Many of you have those great relationships. You need to celebrate them. So there's three things we can build a culture of honor on. It's built on destiny and love. And then the third one is sacrifice. You see, to honor someone means that we've got to pay a price. There's got to be some skin in this game. The question is, who will you take a bullet for? Or more biblically appropriate, who will you take a sword in the gut for? Who will you suffer for? Four. Jonathan sticks his neck out all the way for David. I mean, his father would have had him put to death if he knew what he was doing. But he didn't care because he was a person of honor. Chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Take a look at that. This is the pressure that Jonathan was living under. Saul told his, his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. Jonathan sacrifices his role, his reputation, all for the sake of David. They come up with this plan in verses 18 to 23 where you know, Jonathan is going to send a signal to David. He's saying, When I shoot the arrows and if my arrow runner goes out to the field to get them, and uh, if I say they're just right there, 
uh, then that is a word for you. You're hiding in the bushes. You know that I'm saying my father has cooled down and it's going to be okay. Saul's not trying to kill you. But if I say to my arrow running boy, aren't they way over there, the arrows? Then you know as you hear me while you're hiding, David, that that's a sign to you that my father has not changed and he's really out to kill you. So this is another moment of great personal sacrifice. It's full of stress and chaos. Neither Jonathan nor David know how the outcome is going to be. Is Saul going to change? Is he going to have a a warmer heart towards David? Will he start to honor this new rising king? They don't know. They do realize that this is a price that honor requires. It's time to put their lives on the line for each other. And Jonathan finally figures it out. His father is not going to be kind towards David. And so the arrows are shot, the plan is carried out, and he sends the boy far away looking for the arrows, a verbal signal to David saying, you're in trouble. My father's going to kill you. And then we read these powerful words, verses 41 and 42, 1 Samuel 20. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. They embraced each other. They wept together. And it was one of their last moments, one of their last few times to be close to each other as friends before one of them would die. I think there's moments like this that happen in the lives of God's people in all kinds of places in this world. And I'm especially thinking about the persecuted church today. I'm thinking about those men and women, those followers of Jesus in places like North Korea where for sure you would be shot and killed immediately if you were a confessing Christian. I'm thinking of people in Egypt. Recently, some churches were burned and destroyed. I'm thinking of people in Syria who are followers of Jesus, where there are ISIS soldiers out on the prowl looking for people to behead. Stakes are unbelievably high in some places. And in some locations, there really are firing squads and people that will throw you into prison if you're known as a Christian. And in those places, surely there are men and women who run the gauntlet of sacrifice for the sake of honor for their friends. You've heard some of those amazing stories. Proverbs 18, 24, it says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but... There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Oh, I love that. There are friends in this life who will stick closer to us than anyone else. Closer than your closest family member. But let me tell you about the relationship of the greatest honor and friendship of all. It's found ultimately in Jesus because no one, friends, no one, no one loves us greater than him. No one has sacrificed for us more than him. No one calls out our destiny in our lives more than him. I want you to turn to John 15 for a moment here. 
Jesus is with his disciples there and he's having some tender moments before he moves towards crucifixion. And he's getting them ready for his departure. And in John chapter 15 and verse 12, he says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. The greatest example, friends. The greatest demonstration of honor comes from the one who knows us better than anyone else, from the one who has sacrificed his own life to redeem and rescue us at the price of his own blood. It comes from the one who calls out our royal destiny. It comes from Jesus. He calls you his friend. And I just want to let you kind of absorb that for a moment. He calls you his friend. Because I know in the Bible-believing church world, we often have a hard time with that verse. We don't, we don't really want to let it sink in. We're like, yeah, I know, Jesus, I'm your friend. But, but Lord, I'm just honoring you. And he's like, yes, thank you. I, I appreciate that you're honoring me. But you are my friend. He says, I don't call you servants anymore. Well, isn't that interesting? Because aren't there other passages in the Bible that call us servants of God? Yes, that is what we call ourselves. But he calls us friends. He says, I don't call you servants anymore. No greater love has anyone than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, he says. There's no sacrifice I won't pay for you. Jesus is calling out our destinies. He's covering us with his love. He's bringing us into a union and a bond that is powerful with the Father where we're secure in His love. And He has shown us the ultimate sacrifice. And He says, as I have loved you, love one another. Love one another. Forgive one another. Restore one another. Be gracious to one another. Prefer one another. Honor one another. You might get rejected by others in this world. In fact, it's going to happen. You might get treated by someone with dishonor, someone that you would go, what? How could you treat me that way? But God will never dishonor you if you do not dishonor him. time for us to step further into this deep place of relational strength with God and with each other. And I'd like us to pray for that. Would you guys stand together? Let's just take a moment. Bow our hearts. And I just want to ask you to start with your own conversation with God, your own prayer time. Seek him right now. Talk to him. He's showing you something. He's putting something on your heart. Maybe he's reminding you about his great destiny that he has for your life. 
Maybe you just need to receive a new measure of his love today. That everlasting, amazing love. Maybe you need to confess sins to him. Get them out of the way so that that relationship of honor between you and God can get strong again. If so, repent of those things. Turn away from them. Ask Jesus for his forgiveness. He's already paid the price for it. Receive his love and his forgiveness right now. Maybe some of us need to ask God for friends in our lives that will go deep with us. Friends that will help us to fulfill our great destiny as men and women of the kingdom. Why don't you ask God for that right now if you need that? And if you already have some friends like that, would you pray a blessing on them right now? Would you say their names to the Lord right now? Would you say, Father, thank you for this person in my life who builds me up and does not tear me down? Thank you for this person who has shown consistently that they love me, that they are there for me. Would you bless them today? Would you pray for your teenagers who need to make good choices and have friends of honor? Would you ask God to bring into their lives the people that will shape them for greatness? Lord, I pray that there would be no lonely people in our church. Forgive us, God, for the ways we are at times shallow and callous and arrogant and prideful and unforgiving. Forgive us for thinking that we know so much when actually we know so little. And give us a heart, Lord, for one another like never before. I thank you for the blessings that are happening, Lord, in so many lives here. So many people are experiencing these kinds of powerful relationships. I pray that that would increase. And I pray that we would reflect your honor to the brokenness around us, the people that need to know it's possible. It's possible to be loved by God, to know him. So in the name of Jesus, we pray these things. And we believe it to be so. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Hey, our ministry team is going to be up here at the front. If you have a need in your life, let them minister to you. They'll have lanyards on. They're gifted, godly people. They'd love to pray over you. Join us at Extended Worship tonight, 630. It's going to be an awesome time. We're going to just really delight in the Lord's presence. We're seeking his face tonight. And then we'll see you in seven days. David Hearn is in the building. God bless you.